So last time um, I talked with you just about uh, Cicero's understanding of honestas as uh, virtue. Um, and so this time the the task of the second and third books of uh, Delphicus is to uh, tackle the question of utile or rewards, benefits, utility, uh, that sort of a thing. Um, so in book two, uh, he talks about what benefits are. Um, and then in book three, he talks about the compatibility um, or and conflicts between honestas and utile. Uh, as it turns out, he doesn't really think that there are any important uh, conflicts between honestas and utile, um, or at least none that could should uh, concern us too greatly. And insofar as there are real concerns um, or trade-offs, we shouldn't think about them too much. Um, the the so what I want to do today is just first of all talk about. I mean, I think one of the most distinctive things about Cicero um, is, or or one of his most uh, famous arguments, I guess. One of the things that that people most associate with Cicero uh, is his argument that utile falls out of honestas. If you live a life of honestas, then you're going to get um, the benefits. That is, that virtue is its own reward, uh, or in a different phrasing, uh, honesty is the best policy, right? Um, and so that, like, that's Cicero's, if there's a thesis to the book as a whole, that's the thesis, that honesty is the best policy. Um, the second argument I want to make, though, is that um, like in book three, Cicero does consider this question of, you know, how there are rewards that do not simply reduce to honestas. Um, and so the question is how to deal with those. And I think that Cicero has um, an interesting perspective on this, one that I think that reveals his sort of frame of reference. Um, and that I think I think this has a straightforwardly political uh, philosophical um, payoff in the sense that for Cicero, it's going to turn out, I think, that if you live in a free society, that is, if you live in a republic, if you live in a uh, community of free and equal people, then Onestas is the best policy. Um, that's the sort of normal case for human beings. And it's really the only one worth seriously thinking about. Everything else is, to some extent, a, 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 an unpleasant reality that falls away from the normal case. Okay, so first I want to talk about the discussion of, of virtue being its own reward. Um, so uh, this gets off the ground really in book two, chapter 10, um, where, I mean, it's book two, chapter 10, where he says, or section 10, where he says literally that virtue is its own reward. But, um, um, and the reason, the argument that he gives uh, in the sections going forward from there is that well, utile, um, the benefits that we want out of life, the goods that we want out of life, 
they come from two sources. They either come from the gods or they come from other people. Um, and the what is noxious in life generally only comes from other people, right? Uh, well, it certainly doesn't come from the gods. So and he thinks that the, the gods honor Onestas, right? Uh, the gods aren't going to punish you for being... Uh, for being a, a virtuous person. And in fact, the gods will reward virtue. And the benefits of living in society depend upon honestas. They depend upon being virtuous and being known to be virtuous, right? Virtue and the reputation of virtue are what unlock the benefits of society. Um, there is one class of harms that um, we are susceptible to, even if we're virtuous. Those are the harms of fortuna, of fortune. Right? Those are the things that are beyond anyone's control um, or beyond our control. Um, but uh, Cicero argues, and this is section 19, he argues that even the harms of you know, bad fortuna are mostly mediated by society as well, right? So being part of a healthy society, um, being allied with and friendly with other human beings um, is going to insulate you as much as possible from ill fortune. Um, and um, insofar as ill fortune affects you as a member of society, um, it is mostly going to avoid you um, if you have virtue. This is because, um, and this is building up to the, the question I asked you, the discussion question I asked you, right? That this is mostly because virtue makes the hearts of others one's own, right? It's when you are virtuous, people love you. Um, and uh, they and it is easy to enlist them um, in your service, right? So this is chapter or book two, section seventeen. Thus, there can be no doubt um, but that it is men who inflict on their fellow men both the greatest benefit and the greatest harm. Therefore, I count it as the special property of virtue to make its own um, the hearts of other men and to enlist them in its own service. And this gives rise to a discussion then of um, you know, what I think is um, perhaps the, I mean, it's one of the more influential aspects of Cicero's book. Um, and, it, and when you're reading this pa these passages, I think you can hear the, the premonitions of obviously Machiavelli that came out in the, in the question. Um, but also uh, of Hobbes um, and and of social contract theory um, in general, um, and and you just hear the the premonitions of this. There's a way in which Cicero sort of sets the terms for discussions of of social and political matters for for millennia after uh, after his death. And he sets this is in section 21 and 22. He sets up this. Um, accounting of the various ways in which people are drawn to either to assist you in whatever your endeavors are, 
or um, are the things that make them willing to submit to your orders and your commands. And what's interesting about the lists um, here is that they're identical, basically. Um, there, there's some slight shifting of language, but um, and that this is one of, I think, one of the most interesting ambiguities maybe in Cicero's um, political philosophy, that the very same um, qualities that make people want to uh, engage in your projects and go alongside of you and aid you and help you are also the things that will lead people to want to or to be willing to obey your commands. Um, and I, I'm just going to flag this for right now because it's going to come back. The, the difference between um, assisting one another in our projects and submitting ourselves to the command or power of another, as the, the two paragraphs go, um, is, a very, is a very fine distinction. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to be, I think, a significant distinction. And it's a significant, it's a distinction that gets carried forward into Machiavelli. Um, and it's a, and it's a distinction that I think has a, a large impact on his, on um, Cicero's discussion of the relationship or the, the, the occasional conflicts between Onestas and Utile, which um, I'll come back to in just a minute. The lesson he draws from this, though, is the one that I asked you about, right? The lesson he draws is that it's better to be loved um, than to be feared, right? Because, um, and he quotes uh, Aeneas, the poet, um, they hate the men they fear, and whom one hates, one would have dead, right? So uh, Cicero sees being feared leading to being hated and being hated being the worst thing that uh, could possibly that you could possibly want um, however um, you know obviously machiavelli inverts cicero's advice um, in the prince um, and says that it's better to be feared and hate than loved but i want to I want to fudge the distinction between them a little bit, um, and this is going to set up the return of the question of obedience versus assistance. So Cicero, I mean, the reason Machiavelli says that uh, it's better to be feared than loved is that fear is easier to reckon on, right? That is, fear makes, according to Machiavelli, it seems, fear makes people calculable in a certain way. Fear makes people predictable. Um, and whereas love, um, love leaves them fickle, right? Uh, love is fickle. Uh, love can, love can change and you don't have any control over it. Um, but fear, you are the one in the driver's seat. So, you might think that with that, if you've encountered that Machiavelli before, then you might, upon seeing this inversion uh, in, in Cicero, you might expect that inversion to carry through. And, and certainly, like, it's consistent with Cicero's policy or Cicero's claim that honesty or virtue is the best policy 
that in some sense he is saying, you know, honesty leads you to being loved. Honestas leads you to being loved. And being loved is um, a good policy, right? It's the, it's the thing that you can, you can rely upon in some sense, right? That is, on average, it's going to work out in your favor over the long run. But right after saying that it's better to be loved than feared, Cicero carves out a, a, an exception, right? Or he, he admits an alternative. He says, admittedly, this is uh, paragraph 24 of book two, those who exercise a command over men constrained only by force may need to employ severity, just as a master must toward his servants if he cannot otherwise control them. And I mean, I don't want to make too much of this, but I think that this is, I think it's revealing because, I mean, th this is something that we've talked about before. Like Cicero, you know, talks a lot about uh, a society of free men. Um, but obviously Rome was both a society of free men and a slave society, right? Uh, and an empire uh, in which there were, you know, many subjugated peoples. And the distinction between um, being loved and being feared to some extent tracks the distinction between free society and um, exercising domination, right? So uh, he doesn't say, and I think it's important that he doesn't say that um, it's best to just be loved by your servants, right? Um, uh, and that that is the, the way to exercise dominion over servants. He recognizes that there are conditions in which these free men to whom he, are, he is talking will want rationally to be feared because it is being feared that is the, the basis of the master-servant relationship. Um, it is being feared that is the bedrock of the um, of the empire uh, subject relationship. And those relationships, Cicero doesn't want to transform, right? He doesn't want to change those into relationships amongst free people. Rather, he presupposes that those relationships will continue and must continue um, on their current basis. And that means that there is a place for a policy of fear um, in Cicero, um, just as there is in Machiavelli. Um, so I'm just I'm flagging that again, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to return to it uh, again in just a few minutes. So after having, after having, you know, preached this policy of, you know, how you should make yourself loved. Um, and he talks about, uh, he talks about why being feared is bad because, and, and this is echoes of, 
of Aristotle and of Plato, right? That um, when you wish to be feared, when you wish to rule through fear, then you are often, you end up being afraid of those who fear you, right? So the, the tyrant ends up a slave to uh, the tyrant's subjects because the, the tyrant has, the tyrant fears uh, his subjects more than, more than anyone else, right? And so Cicero then pivots to say, well, how is it then that we can acquire the love that we desire? And his advice to his son is fairly straightforward. On the one hand, be honestas. And on the other hand, so be who you want to seem to be, right? <laughs> be good so that you can seem good. But then also, um, and this is unsurprising for a uh, an orator like Cicero says, like you have to, you know, find occasions on which you can be seen to be who you really are. That is, you need to find public occasions where you can let your character shine forth and your virtue and value to the community can manifest themselves so that you can be seen for the good person um, that you are. Okay, so that's his, that's the discussion. That's the, the first part of what I wanted to talk about. Um, Cicero's argument for why honesty is the best policy. The second thing I wanted to talk about is that, uh, you know, not all rewards in life um, reduced to being an honorable person. So um, what do we do in the other cases? And this goes back to something I talked about last time, which is that, you know, Cicero wants to sort of fudge the distinction between Stoicism and the peripatetic school. Because, uh, and this jumps ahead to book three, the little passages from book three I had you read. He wants to argue that, so, First of all, external goods, wealth, riches, um, honors in the city, offices, these sorts of things, those are real goods, but only for one who has Onestas. Um, that is for the most part, right? Um, and, and, and then this, so this is going to bring us back to this question again. Cicero... I think in book three, in this argument for why it is that um, that external goods are only good for someone with virtue, he presupposes what he takes to be the normal case, or at least the normal case for his son, for him, for anyone who would be reading his book. And the normal case for anyone who's going to be reading his book is that they are a free citizen in a free city. Um, and it is precisely within that context that his um, advice follows, right? So his advice, and this is uh, in book three, chapter 37, he says, one should not begin to deliberate questions if the very deliberation of them is dishonorable, right? There's a, there's a certain... There's a self-censorship um, at work in Cicero um, that basically says, um, look, 
these cases, these hard cases, these supposed hard cases of places where being vicious or cruel are, um, are, are going to give you the rewards that you want, to even consider them is itself dishonorable. Because as soon as we start talking about those things, the fact that we're talking about them gives our interlocutors reason to mistrust us, right? So the very airing of these options gives you a reason to think that I might not be trustworthy, that I might be looking for an opportunity to, to stick you in the back in order to get what I want. So that is, I think Cicero's own book is supposed to be a sort of um, public display of his own Onestas, right? Even though it's just for his son, but like the, 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 the lesson there for his son is don't even think about um, these cases in which supposedly you can get what you want by being dishonorable. Because as soon as you think about them, as soon as you even admit their existence, you have undermined the very social, com the, 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 the warp and weft of the social compact amongst free and equal persons. Because society is held together by our trust in one another and our desire to obtain from one another the benefits of society. And to suggest, to consider, to deliberate about cases in which I might be, you know, cases like the Ring of Gyges, in which I might be able to get what I want by breaking every rule in the book, gives everyone else a reason not only to mistrust that you and to think that you're going to break every rule in the book, but it gives them a reason to themselves then break every rule in the book, right? It, it gives everyone, it's like introducing a, a crystal into a solution that is super saturated with possibilities for betrayal and backstabbing. Like as long as nothing disturbs the solution, it's just gonna stay there um, and it's gonna remain a solution. But if you throw that one crystal in, that seed crystal in, then uh, that's going to create the very thing that you want to avoid. It's going to destroy the solution itself. It's going to create the crystal of fraud, of, of treachery, of betrayal um, within society and cause the society to break down. So there's this real sense in Cicero that society is the greatest good for us. And, but it's the greatest good for us in such a way, it's a, it's a sort of fragile good, right? It's such a great good to us that we have to say it's the greatest good for us in order for it to continue to be the greatest good for us. 
That is, we have to act as if society were the greatest good for us in order that it would be, can be what it ought to be and what we suppose it to be, right? That's the, that's the fragility of the, the norms that hold society together, right? Um, the trust, the, the security of society come from our faith in one another. And so there are certain things that you shouldn't even talk about. Um, this is, ex I mean, th this two things, uh, and then I'll, and then I'll shut up. Um, first of all, this circles back to something that he said right at the beginning of book two, which is that he, you know, one, one of the legacies of his education in academic skepticism is that he wants to, he doesn't think that you can make a case for certain knowledge of lots of things, right? Certainty is beyond our grasp. But, and this is um, book two, section seven, he says, probability is there and probability is as good as we're going to get. So we have to like, Pro, the, nothing stops us from arguing for what we think is probable. There's a level of certainty that is not appropriate for social and political philosophy and for ethics as far as Cicero is concerned. Um, I mean, we can't get it. It's not that it's not appropriate. It's just it's out of reach. There's no way to know that the life of justice is the best life. But it's probably the best life. <laughs> and if it's probably the best life, then we should act as if it's the best life because it is acting as if it's the best life that's going to probably make it the case that it is the best life, right? There's, this is, another. it's another way in which there's this you know, make it so element uh, to Cicero's uh, entire political discourse. And then the second thing, and this comes back to the, the relationship to Machiavelli and to this bifurcation between free society and, and the, the um, non-society of servitude and, and subjecthood. One of the reasons why Machiavelli inverts the Ciceronian um, advice is that the Ciceronian advice had been taken up, um, you know, in a Christian context in which the conviction was that if you were good, that was a, a Christian goodness, a goodness that could only be, or that would be rewarded in heaven um, by a just and beneficent God, and that it did not look for worldly rewards um, at all. And within that Christianized conception of 
reward on the one hand and virtue on the other, the thought that virtue was its own reward was guaranteed by God, by one's faith in God, right? It had a certainty to it. But that certainty was located in a, a world other than the one we live in, right? And so the world in which we live, uh, a, a fallen world, all bets are off. And so within that context, Machiavelli inverts the, inverts the saying and says, look, fear is the thing that you can reckon on. Fear is the thing that you can um, control the, the results of um, better than love. And so, you know, it's, you should, you should aim to be feared in your rule because, and you should be willing to um, sacrifice your own soul for the sake of the patria, you know, for the sake of your fatherland, because that's, that's the calling of being a political leader in this world, right? Is that you try to, you devote yourselves to the, to the stuff of this world. Obviously, Cicero is operating in a very different context. Um, and so the, the bifurcation that, and the, the sort of exaggerated bifurcation between virtue and this fallen world that um, Machiavelli seeks to subvert by his advice doesn't, doesn't exist in Cicero. I mean, I think there is an equivalent, though, to it, or something like an analog to it, in the division between uh, a free society and everything else. Like, within the confines of the Republic, you know, in our dealings with other free and equal citizens, this policy of love of, of virtue and trying to be loved is the best one. Uh, and with it, you know, all of these, these norms of respectfulness, all of these attempts to sort of bootstrap ourselves into and hold ourselves in a condition of mutual trust, all of that holds. But when you're outside of that context, when you're beyond the, the sphere of free society, then um, it's not clear that the, the same rules hold at all, right? Um, and it's not clear that, so in that sense, like um, the, the free republic for Cicero has, is something like the Christian community um, in... Uh, that Machiavelli, um, you know, Machiavelli wants to get people to think in a different way than how they have been trained to think in that Christian community, because he wants to train you to think about this fallen world. But for Cicero, the Christian, the equivalent to the Christian community is the one of which we are actually a part, right? It is the political community. And the world of Machiavellianism 
is the world outside the Republic, right? It's the world of um, at the imperial frontier. Um, it's the world of living in a, a, a tyranny, right? Um, it's a world in which people are not used to living in uh, society with one another. Um, and in that sense, there's a, it is a, a, pro, a um, like a premonition of the state of nature in social, early modern social contract theories, right? That there is a world where all of these rules of society don't really apply. Um, and they're the, that's the world um, that uh, lots of people live in, right? So the, the people of, uh, you know, the, the barbarian tribes of Germany don't live in a free republic. Um, and so all of these things about honesty being the best policy don't hold in our relations with them, right? They live in something, they live in a different state, um, a state of, um, of nature, right? One in which, um, I mean, you can't trust them, right? So that, 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 um, the, all of the high-minded stuff that Cicero says, I think, is for him, it's absolutely essential that we think that way within the sphere of the free city. But as soon as that sphere, as soon as that sphere is behind us, as soon as we're facing somewhere else, all bets are off. Um, so um, in that sense, I think that um, Cicero and Machiavelli are not so opposite one another. <laughs> um, that that um, Cicero um, only thinks these high-minded things um, because he thinks that they're appropriate for a particular setting, um, a setting that he is taking for granted. Um, and that when that setting is put aside for one, or one reason or another, then um, the things that he's saying no longer hold. Bye.